0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Jenny. She has brittle asthma. Let's talk about it. We are rockin' and rolling, and we are gonna be talking about this. Guys, we are like three for three on shit that I've never heard before. Um, again, we've been doing this podcast for like six years now, almost. And <clears throat> we've talked about everything under the sun when it comes to illness. Apparently not. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I guess Apparently not. not. Uh, because today we're gonna be talking about type one brittle asthma. Now, I know what asthma is, but Jenny... All the way from fucking just south of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, How how was that? That was a perfect, perfect accent. Uh, Perfect. What what is type 1 brittle asthma?
4: So, type 1 brittle asthma is the very, very, very rare end of severe asthma. So, only 0.05% of people with asthma have this particular type. So, I looked it up earlier and I think it was. 105,000 in the whole world. So there aren't 108 or something oh, like yeah, so right. not very many people. Um but I suppose the main difference with brittle asthma and kind of even the severe end is I have all the same triggers as most asthma patients. So um you know, dust, pollen, animal hair, all these different types of things. But with brittle asthma, it I kind of Describe it a bit like an appendix. It just randomly tries to kill you, so you can be fine. Like I could literally be talking to you like now, and then two seconds later, you can just have this huge asthma attack that almost kills you. Whoa. Whoa! So it's not ideal.
0: Does that wait? Does that it's just happen ideal. though? Like could could that happen on this? podcast recording, like, could you just all of a sudden have an asthma yeah, attack and almost die? should we I, be? I <laughs> hope
4: not. I hope not. I have taken extra nebs today, just in case. Um, but I'll show you a picture. Maybe we can put it up on the Instagram or something. So yeah. on Christmas Eve 2019, so I usually live in Melbourne in Australia, but so I was there for five years, came home for the first Christmas in six years, and I was out having the lulls on Christmas Eve 2019. Lots having a great lols. time. Lots of lols. Seeing all my friends, you know that I hadn't seen in years, and then two hours later. Oh no! Oh
2: Oh, and for the listeners who can't see, we are yeah. looking at what looks like a terrified Jenny, uh, a dead it, person. Is you've got yeah. a, a nasal cannula in uh, yeah. in your nose, and, and are is you that, slightly blue in your mouth? There, what is that?
4: Oh, that's just like a weird thing oh, that like, came off like the nasal
2: cannula. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Fuck me. Okay, so
0: it's two hours later because, like, the first picture is like you dressed up wearing like a Christmas hat and looking all yeah. happy, and two hours later, you're in the hospital looking like, like, kind of like a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So, do, um, I know got, got photos what, like, like that too. Do you know, do, like, when you, uh,
2: Jenny, when you have a, uh, a, a severe asthma attack, is it, is it like, okay, so the, so I was watching, um, I was I was watching this HBO series recently called The Night of. If anyone hasn't watched it and you're and you're hunkered down and you're looking for something to binge, uh, only one season HBO, Mm. fucking top tier television.
1: But you should wait another four years like Jeremy did (laughs) when I told him to watch (laughs) it four years ago. It took me a while.
2: Took me a while to get around (laughs) to it. It's an older show, but um, uh, in the show, uh, the character, the lead, the main character has asthma and like he uses his he uses his puffer and you can see him like the, you know it I, it's not that realistic but like you see him using it in moments where he knows he has to use it so like he goes into this woman's apartment and like they're they're about to make they're about to make fuck um and yeah. she has a cat and he's like oh no i see the cat so he takes his like he takes his puffer he knows that that you know he could have an asthma attack because the cat's there is it is it similar in your case like that night when you were having the lols on Christmas Eve, um, did you like? Did something happen that you know caused the attack, or or is is it just like who fucking knows? Like it just completely yeah. out of the blue.
4: So I was a bit under the weather from the jet lag and coming from thirty something degrees in Oz to two degrees here because weather really affects my asthma.
2: Right. Because um, you. Sorry. So I guess we should probably say you live. Technically most of your time in Australia. Yeah. Right?
4: Yeah. So I've been trapped in Ireland since Christmas two thousand nineteen because of COVID. <laughs>
2: trapped, she says. Ireland's amazing. Yeah. Don't 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 ah, don't, don't yeah, put down grand. your home country. Hey, grass yeah. is always greener. <laughs> That's right.
4: <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> That's it. Um yeah, I was a little bit under the weather, but I wouldn't have said I was, you know, on death's door or anything. So i it was actually quite lucky because um my mum Collected me earlier than I was planning on leaving. She happened to be in the area of the pub, mm. so she text asking, "Did I want to lift home?" And I, I did take it, <clears throat> but I do wonder if I'd stayed at the pub, would that asthma attack happen to be in the pub, and I wouldn't have had my nebulizer to hand, and you know, there's a lot of what ifs in the situation, but I literally got home. I told my mum in the car I was feeling a bit wheezy. So I said I'm gonna do a nebs before bed. Got home, went on the nebulizer. I have a like an oximeter thing that goes on your finger, and as I was on the nebulizer, I watched it going ninety three, ninety one, eighty nine, eighty three, and I was like, "Oh, oh shit!" God. Oh, God. So yeah, we called an ambulance, and it, they only took like nine minutes to come. But um, that was yeah, it was it was really crazy. They had to put me on the high-flow oxygen straight away. Um, I had two shots of magnesium sulfate in the ambulance on the way up.
2: What the fuck um, is that? The what first that two,
4: It's a life-saving injection, which, to be honest, I don't know the uh, technical ins and outs of it, but if you have it when you don't need it, it could give you a cardiac arrest. So they only give it in life-saving situations.
2: Mm. Whoa. So what, did you, so what is the? How, sorry, what did you say was magnesium what? Sulfate magnesium. So that sounds like something you don't want injected into (laughs) you just. So what is the, what is the main,
1: what is, you know, what's the difference between, what's the difference between the type of asthma that you have and like the, you know, the thing that I think most people are more familiar with, which is sort of the, I, the the way more common form of asthma, which is, you know, I get this constriction in my breathing and I take my puffer and like, you know, it, f- it you know, it, it flares up from time to time, but it's not really that bothersome. I feel like that's sort of the picture that, that people have about asthma. And it's like, you, well, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a much more rare form of asthma where, where it can be very life threatening to you. Like, so what is, what, is the, what are the differences between, between like the more common form of asthma and brittle asthma that you have?
4: Yeah, so I would really like there to be a different word altogether for brittle asthma because when you tell people you have severe asthma, they're like, oh, yeah, my friend has severe asthma. He takes his <laughs> inhaler yeah. once every five years or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll take mine twice a day, but okay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I suppose what you're saying, Taylor, about the kind of definition of asthma is most of the time completely correct. Like, that's what most people with asthma deal with. Mm -hmm. And even Pink, uh, she was doing an interview on some TV show recently, and she said she was worried when she got COVID because she had asthma. And she said, oh, it's it's so severe, I even ended up in hospital once. And I was like, oh, Jesus. And I, yeah, poor,
0: <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> but poor thing.
4: Poor like, thing. Yeah, that kind of thing.
0: Wait, how many times have you been, been in hospital?
4: Oh, Jesus. Um, so that time I went into the ambulance, I didn't leave until the 21st of February last year, so that was two months. Oh, my God. Whoa,
2: really? Um, wow. I had
4: 12 admissions in 2019. Uh, yeah, a lot.
2: Holy shit. But again, Whoa. mine's
4: the much rarer end. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: I, I, uh, so, I, so, so we've, we've said right off the bat that you have type one, there's two types, right? There's yeah. type one and type two. Do you know, do you know the difference between the two?
4: I think the type one is more kind of random, like the appendix theory. And then the type two, I think you do have a little bit more warning.
2: Right, yeah. But I could
4: be wrong. i yeah. have
2: to look it up. So but I, I have, think that's what it is. <laughs> I have a site up here uh, that, that goes into brittle asthma. I was trying to, like, read up on it before we were talking to you. Um yep. From Healthline, <clears throat> it says type 1, the, the type of brittle asthma, this type of brittle asthma involves daily periods of breathlessness and frequent sudden attacks that are more acute. Uh, breathlessness is measured in terms of peak expiratory flow, so PEF. Uh, yep. To be diagnosed with this condition... This is fucking wild. To be diagnosed with this condition, you'll need to have wide daily variations in breathing more than 50% of the time over a period of five months. And then it says type 2, unlike type 1, this type of asthma can be well controlled by drugs for extended periods of time. However, when there is an acute asthma attack, uh, it will come on suddenly, usually within three hours, and you may not be able to identify any recognizable triggers. So with that... Um, Jenny, like, when did you receive your diagnosis of brittle asthma? Did, did did you, I take it you've had asthma your whole life or did you like develop asthma?
4: No, I've had it since I was a baby. Um, so I suppose it would have been categorized into moderate to severe when I was a kid. I wasn't in and out of hospital as much. And then when I was a teenager, I was just having a lot of problems, and I got um, referred to a paediatric asthma specialist, and they did a lung function, and my lung function was only 21%. And they were like, oof, okay, you need a lot more things than you were already given. Um, So I've been kept an eye on pretty much since then, but I had a big attack in Melbourne in 2019, September, just before I came home, actually. And I had to be intubated in that one. Oh my so God. that's when they gave the, they've kind of known it was brittle asthma pretty much most of the time, but that's when they gave the official, like, right. okay, this is mm. what you re- have. This is what we're going to write on your form.
1: It really does It really does deserve a different name because it mm. is, Thank I you. mean, like, yeah. it's, like, with, with our under pop culture understanding of what asthma is, it really is in a fucking another universe of its own. And I mean, like I never, we talked to somebody, um, we talked to somebody with asthma on the show, like way back, we were still recording in your basement then, Bri. Um, and I was it a childhood friend of yours, Jerry, I think, but anyway, we, we, you know, we, it was, it was somebody with, he had kind of typical asthma and although we definitely, it, it gave us, um, it gave us a lot of insight into living with asthma that we hadn't considered before, and it was like very eye-opening for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, this is in a totally different this is in a totally different uh, universe. Like, it really yes. it really does kind of deserve its own name. I mean, regular hospital admissions, intubation, twenty one percent lung function. I mean, J- if Jair yeah, went to twenty one percent, you are getting so, your lungs taken out.
2: Yeah, that's right. Like for yeah. context, like thirty percent lung function is is considered like. Um, you know, like end stage CF, like like thirty yeah. percent lung function for CF patients is when you get put on a list to get a new set of lungs. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it is is that
1: is but it's not your lungs, t- right? It's your it's your ability to get
2: the air. It's the airway into yeah. your into yeah. your lungs. But so. but, it, but yeah. is that is lung is lung transplant something that is tossed around in your in your orbit?
4: So my asthma specialist over in Melbourne is amazing. Like, she's one of the best doctors I've ever had. She listens to everything. She looks into everything. If I say I'm getting something, she'll she'll look into it straight away. And she's actually quite high up in the board of um, organ transplant in Melbourne. And she has, so she first introduced the idea um, kind of early 2019. And I said, because I didn't really understand much about it, and I said, if I got new lungs, would the asthma go away with the old lungs? And she said, yes. And I was like, sign me up. Where do, do I it? get yeah. new ones? Wow. And because uh, my lung function averages, it kind of goes between 36 and 56%. Oh my God. So right now it's probably somewhere in between because I had a bit of a cold about two weeks ago. Um, so it is like, and my treatment would be relatively similar to CF with my daily NEBS and. Most of the time, steroids and inhalers and all this type of thing, but it doesn't get the recognition that CF gets, yeah, uh, mm. which is kind of annoying. But not That's that a, I, I'm not against CFers, but you know,
0: it's really surprising to hear that it You're would go, go away with that, uh, with that <laughs> lung transplant because, like, being a a chronic inflammatory disease where it like like Taylor was saying too, like it restricts your airways, which is, mm. which yeah. is like what leads to the shortness of, of breath. Like it's really interesting to hear that a lung transplant would, would make it go away. Like I wonder if it has to do with yeah. the, like your body producing extra mucus and a, and a mucus I baldabur. think, yeah, I think I'm it's sure.
4: a mixture of a lot of things because asthma, she kind of described it to me as um, kind of like little Pac-Man things just kind of floating around. In your lungs. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's more little Pac-Man things on my lungs than there would be on normal asthma people's lungs. Mm. So, you know, in my head, I wish they could just get a Hoover and, you know, put it out <laughs> my throat and, go, and just yeah. take away all the <laughs> asthma from the lungs yeah. without me having to have a massive operation. Um, but, yeah, so maybe I suppose the inflammation is caused by those little Pac-Men and then if they went away, so what the information
2: I, I, uh, you, you've said how you've, you've said neb, nebulizers a couple times now, and, and for folks who, who aren't familiar with what that treatment is, that's something that I do twice a day. Um, yeah. um, can you Can you describe like what that treatment is? Do you do it every single day, and if you do, what are you taking in your nebulizer?
4: So it depends on the weather really. Uh, sometimes I'll take two or three, sometimes I'll take one, but to me but it's every day, so one neb. What I would describe as one neb treatment, would be one Atrovent and two Salbutamol nebules.
2: Yeah, Salbutamol. I take that so, too. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Uh, some of that. Uh, some so, of that salty twins. shit. Um, yeah. uh, and and basically, it's it's the it, the treatment is taking liquid medicine out of these little. Yeah. They're little nebulizers. These little like little neb packs. You put it in a in like a, a a little mouthpiece that's attached to a machine and you sit on it, breathing the, it, it, the machine turns that liquid into vapor that you, that you essentially inhale and breathe. And so I'm guessing that your neb treatment, if you did one, if you're doing two different medicines in the neb, uh, you're looking at what, like 30, 30, 40 minutes on the nebulizer.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: yeah,
4: about yeah, forty minutes.
1: It's also super if you're if you're somebody who enjoys falling asleep with white noise.
2: It's great. It's, it's really green. really great. <laughs> it is nice. Yeah. yeah, knocks me right the fuck <laughs> out. Um, I, I, th- another thing that was in this this Healthline article, um, and again, just to like put context to this, this is kind of mind blowing. Uh, brittle asthma affects about zero point zero five percent of people who have asthma. So like. Really, really rare. Um, But the other thing that it says here, which I find kind of interesting, and and I think this is important to note, and I want to get your take on this, um, uh, Jenny, because we have a lot of physicians, a lot of healthcare professionals uh, that listen to the show. And one of the things that it says here in the article is that not all doctors agree with the use of this categorization of brittle asthma. um, As some people with regular asthma who have their symptoms under control can still experience life-threatening asthma attacks. Have you, you know, in your history of living with brittle asthma, have you run into situations where your healthcare providers kind of give you a bit of pushback with this term brittle asthma?
4: Literally every single time I go to the hospital, that isn't my specialist in Melbourne who, who Mm. is great. But even if I, if I go into the ER um, they hear the word asthma and they immediately go to Taylor's previous diagnosis, which again, you know, 99% of the time is correct. Mm. So, you know, the curtains that they pull around you in your little cubicle. So I swear the doctors think that that's soundproof because like, every time I'm in there, they'll like talk about me two meters away and they'll be like, oh, it's just asthma. Send her home in the morning. Yeah. I'd like, oh my Jesus oh, Christ. That's yeah. not what it is. You're like, you're um,
1: like check my lung function. Check yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I dare you.
4: <laughs> I dare you. So actually, Oh sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I I was just gonna say about the about the naming of it. Like it is it the problem is the problem the name or is it the problem that people just don't take asthma seriously? Because like yeah. it at the end of the day, it is asthma. Like that's that's yeah. what it is, but it's just like the <laughs> P- the expectation or what people think of the preconceived notions of what it is is is, is like wrong in this like case. everything
1: has its like every condition has a spectrum, but like when the spectrum gets too wide,
0: mm. like
1: break it somewhere and yeah, now let's like exactly. start some let's start a new spectrum that's shorter <laughs> yeah, yeah right. and now we can have like you know whatever the f- like Dude, I don't know. I was like, I, 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 thought for a second that I could come up with a name.
2: I, I, was, I was doing the same thing here. I was going, let's name it. Let's, let's change the name right now. <laughs> yeah, part of here uh, first, folks. We're I changing. Can, I the can't name. do it. I can't do it. I mean, Asthma yeah,
4: appendix. It,
2: it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's, it's so like it's so interesting to talk to you about this because I do. I feel like I'm just. I'm really just talking to another CFer. Like Jenny, you sound yeah. like a, uh, uh, you sound yeah. like a stereotypical CFer. You know, you have that yeah. very raspy, sort of like weathered um, uh, v- vocal cord quality that we hear in a lot of people that live with CF. Who you know, which, which I, th- I, I don't know. I am not a fucking physician. Maybe, maybe uh, Lori can send us an email and let me know. But I think that comes to, I think that comes from coughing and and wheezing and just like sort of wear and tear of the of the vocal cords. Is that yeah. it, like is is your is your vocal qu- the quality of your vocal uh, sounds? Like, is that from your asthma?
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I was... When when I had the big attack at Christmas, I couldn't talk because there was, you know, my airway was too much busy with the little bit of air to get out any voice. So I was like, hello, I got <laughs> Like, literally like I had laryngitis or something. And this doctor comes in, I'm literally, like, still on oxygen 24-7. I am... Look grey and horrible, and he comes in and I'm just like so blah 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 like trying to explain to him what has happened, and uh, I, he's just like, "Oh, uh, your lack of voice isn't from the asthma attack. That's from laryngitis. We'll give you some expuTex, which is like a you know like a cough syrup type thing, you know that normal asthma people would use." And uh, he just said it with such arrogance. he was like mm. that's just laryngitis. Don't be daft. Of course, it's not from your lack of air and then of course I was like okay I'll take the extra dice but I know what's gonna happen took mm. it voice still the same or lack of still the same mm. and uh I just yeah I just hate the way they have such like yeah just arrogance in they're just like what I'm saying is correct and you will not tell me what is not correct mm. even though you have experience of this super rare condition that I do not
0: Jenny, I feel like, I feel like you've had a fairly negative experience with the healthcare system, especially because you have brittle asthma. It's very rare. You know, a lot of the, the healthcare uh, practitioners that you've seen seem to like not take it that seriously. Do you feel overall that you have had a negative experience with the healthcare system? Or do you feel like, you know, there are doctors there that have, have like I mean, helped you come to a diagnosis and understand your situation better and, you know, live with the disease that you live with?
4: Yeah, it, it's definitely a mix. Like overall, I would say it's negative, but I'm a painfully positive person <laughs> usually, so <laughs> I always try and turn it into a joke. Like one very good example of that is I, so I don't just have asthma I've got, underactive thyroid and endometriosis, and polycystic ovaries as well. So, it's oh, just fuck. a big party up in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I went to a endocrinologist because I had my thyroid whatever numbers were all over the place and he tried to, to diagnose me with down syndrome. And he cut, and he charged me 6 he charged me 600 dollars to get a genetic blood test. Um, and I just, I was literally just going there to ask him what was all wrong with my thyroid. And he told me, he thought I had Down syndrome. And I was like,
1: <sighs> what? was what? that? Ba- did he did he say what, what? it was based off of? That's, he
4: said, I mean,
2: that's very confusing. He said
4: my eyes were too far apart and I had funny looking lines going down my palms in my hands.
2: Did you get the test?
4: Yeah, well, I did because he didn't tell me. It was. I got the invoice of 600 bucks after I got the test. And funnily enough, came back negative, would you believe? Oh, interesting. And, uh, Your eyes don't yeah, look that was, far apart to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, they look pretty really normal. Like,
4: Thank you. But I I emailed him and I was like, I am not paying 600 bucks. This is ridiculous. And he sent back again, another arrogant email being like, uh, you had severe facial features reminiscent of someone with Down syndrome. And when uh, when it is, um, I don't know, like when, when we're suspicious about it, when there's high clinical suspicion, genetic testing is required. And I was like, "There no, I'm 24. I think it they would have found it by now, I like I've spent my life in and out of hospitals. I that think is
1: they truly might have up shocking. That. that is so
2: uh, wild. Yeah, I it know. Is. Yeah, it was it mad. Crazy. Can you imagine how in fucking end, wild I, it would have been though if you if you were like, "Oh, oh, I do have Down <laughs> syndrome," like <laughs> and I didn't know this whole time. <laughs> Are you
1: in the? Um, I, know. I can't. I, I always get confused uh, whether Ireland or Northern Ireland are, are in the UK. Which one is the... No, which... Northern
4: Ireland are, we're not.
1: You're not, but Northern Ireland is. So you're not, it's yeah. not NHS. Like the healthcare, so you, it's, it's a completely uh, like different...
4: I wish. No, no, it's not. It's, it's um, very flawed, a bit all over the place. Um, I, God, the NHS would be amazing, especially... For someone like me who's going in and out all the time,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, but I am, I am on like a thing called a drug sub scheme, so it's you have to pay like the first, hundred and twenty euro a month of your meds, instead of like it'll be like six or seven hundred for mine.
2: Whoa! So, okay, well, that's, that's
4: helpful. <laughs> yeah.
2: hey, um, right. I'm. I want. I'm. Really, you said uh, earlier that you had been intubated, and uh, I think you. I mean, you might be the first guest, at least that we've. Heard from who's been intubated. We never really talked about intubation with anybody else before, and this this notion of becoming intubated, um, you know, I think pre COVID, uh, most people would, wouldn't really know what intubation is. Um, you know, most, most people outside of the the, the world of healthcare. Um yeah. Now that now that most people now that like intubation is kind of a household name and uh, a scary a scary thought for m- most people today because of COVID. Um can you can you tell us about that experience? Because our friend Andrew who's an RT. Um uh he's you know he's he's talked to me about intubation a number of times and it sounds fuck, it sounds like really just awful. horrifying. It sounds like a really awful experience. What what um do you remember like do you remember being intubated? Do you do you recall what that experience was like or were you too drugged up?
4: Yeah, it's it's very blurry, but um I had actually gone to the hospital like, five days before, because um, I knew something was going to happen. I was like, oh, I really feel bad. I looked awful. Like, my eyes go very, like, almost bruised when I'm, uh, like, very, very bad. They just, I would literally knew it was a can before the storm. I was like, something's going to happen. So I went in, and they were like, oh, we'll just put you on steroids. I was like, I'm already, this is me on steroids. I'm already on steroids. And they were like, oh, we'll just up the dose. It'll be fine. And then five days later, I came back like literally like uh, dying. My housemate had to bring me into the hospital because um, I didn't have ambulance insurance over in Oz at the time. And it's like three grand to get an ambulance. So uh, my housemate brought me in and it was the same nurse at Triage. And I was like, uh, and she was like, oh, you've been here before. I was like, this is what I was trying to avoid. (laughs) And she was like, "Okay," So she like. Picked up the big red phone and was like, okay, we got someone working pretty hard here. And uh, I literally got rushed in. It was like the, you know, kind of like the resus cubicle. There's about eight or 10 doctors, beeps of machines. Heart rate was like in the 200s. Oxygen was terrible. Um, and then I don't really remember that much. Mm, After crazy. that, I, was, I wasn't in hospital for that long because they had me on bed rest at home for a while. Um, but yeah, that was... Pretty scary, but the worst time definitely. So the time I was in the ambulance on Christmas Eve, um, I had the most gnarly experience. So there's a lot of noise in the ambulance. There's like duh, 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 of going down the road really fast. My mum and the ambulance, um, lady were chatting away. There was the siren. Everything was going, and I was just I was shaking really badly because I think my body had just kind of got into shock. So I was like. <laughs> Just like trying to get any air in, and
0: I th- is it scary? I don't think when you, they've given you, me. Is that scary when you feel like that? Like, do you? It was, do you are you struggling to like fun. breathe at that that moment?
4: Well, it it is scary, but I'm kind of used to it now. I've had so many asthma mm-hmm. attacks. It's it's not that scary, but this one. So I think it was before they gave me the magnesium sulfate, the first one. So I was looking at the back of the ambulance. I was just trying to focus on something because I was like, just need to get the siren. And then the back of the ambulance started going really blurry. And all of a sudden I started hearing music in my ears as if I had noise cancelling headphones in. I couldn't hear anything else. The siren, my mum and the lady chatting literally like a few centimetres beside me. I literally could only hear music from like my early teens in my head, like not even recent music. And I'm really bad at remembering lyrics, but they were the perfect lyrics in my head. And I was like,
3: Whoa.
4: oh, Jesus. And I was, because they, they say that your hearing's the last to go when you're about to cross over the Rainbow Bridge. So I was like, oh, shit, okay, okay, this is happening now. And there was like, one of my favorite Disney movies is <laughs> Emperor's New Groove. And there's like the devil and the angel on Crohn's shoulders. And it was literally like that. So 80% of me was like, You don't have to do this anymore. You can stop. The pain will stop. It'll be fine. And then the other bit of me was like, no, it's Christmas Eve. You can't ruin Christmas for everyone. What a selfish thing to do. Come on, you can do this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So
4: so I was like, just trying trying to get it in. And then the ambulance lady must have, I must have just looked like I was freaking out. And she looked at me and she was like, are you okay? But I couldn't hear her. I was still hearing this music. But I lip lip read her saying, are you okay?" And uh, I was like, no, just like furiously shook my head. So we went, like pulled over the side of the road. And then the guy in the other ambulance jeep that was following us burst into the doors. And that was really disorientating because the doors were the only thing I was focusing on. Mm. And then they burst open and the guy comes in and gave me the first shot of magnesium sulfate. And then... um. We went on a bit further. It wasn't getting much better. And then they gave me a second shot. And then I went straight into resource and they hooked everything up to me. Um, so they stopped because then, they were yeah.
1: like, you're about, like, she might die right she's now. Like, they're like, we don't she, have she's hearing fucking software. music,
2: dude. Yeah,
4: exactly. It was Crash, crash the Wedding wow. by Busted, uh, which <laughs> used to be one of my favorite bands when I was a teenager. And uh, I will never be able to hear that song again without thinking of my imminent demise. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh yeah, it was it's, bloody crazy.
0: It, it's crazy because when you talk about all of these experiences, um the time the story at Christmas Eve and then being in the in the hospital for 2 months, um the experiences in Oz, you know, being admitted 12 times in 1 year, it sounds like it's like a full-time job living with brittle yeah. asthma and I'm so curious about how it affects like the rest of your life, like your, your, your work life, your social life, like it, how do you, how do you live a, a full and productive life, you know, being in and out of the hospital so much and, you know, sometimes admitted for like up to two months?
4: Well, um, I realized maybe about four or five years ago that having a regular job, cause I used to be a chef and in the hospitality, you can't take days off or mm. sick days, you know, they're just, they'd be knocking on your coffin being like, can you come in tomorrow? You know, like they just, <laughs> they don't accept people being sick. So I worked as a chef for years and I kind of got to a point because my asthma has got much worse as I've got older, like the more older I get, the worse it gets. And it's something that I really have to keep in mind. So when I got an opportunity to quit chefing, um, I was like, right, I need to set up my own business because then I'm completely flexible and even if I'm in hospital I can work from a laptop or you know I can go easy on myself and allow myself to take the time to recover and recuperate because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it can take up to six months to recover so you know it's a long old haul cool. so I kind of need that flexibility um, so while I was in sometimes I have to be in a wheelchair when I have like big asthma attacks and then it'll take a few months to get back to normal so my mum used to like push me in a wheelchair and that was grand but I realised how inaccessible the world is and Mm. how terrible that was and it it just really annoyed me and then um, for my 21st birthday I went to Costa Rica on an adventure holiday and I was doing well at that stage and the whole time I was there I was like okay, well, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was still sick. I wouldn't have been able to do that, come not do that. And I was like, just because I'm sick doesn't mean I should pay the same amount as everyone else and get much less of an experience. And I think it's really important, like the tagline um, of my business called Accessible Adventures is Wanderlust does not discriminate. So it just means that just because you're sick or disabled doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to get your Tinder profile pic at the top of Machu Picchu like everyone else. So, you know, it's a, I'm very passionate about that, e- equality on Tinder. Um, so I set up a adventure travel company for people with and without disabilities and chronic illness called Accessible Adventures. That's amazing. Um, so it's, kind of, it's still very much in the startup phase, but I have grand plans for the future whenever I bloody well get back there.
3: Let's phone a friend.
0: Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. It's wild that you, I mean, it's in- inspiring too that, that like, you move to Australia and start this adventure travel business and like have this mindset of not wanting to, um, allow this, this, your, your illness to slow you down because Mm. it would be really easy to, and, and understandable that like being in and out of hospital so much and not wanting to like venture far from home because, you know, you have the safety of your family around that can support you and, and things like that. Like it's, uh, do you, did you ever consider when you were going to Australia to move there at first that like oh like is am I going to be okay living with brittle asthma in I another th- country like like on the other side of the world?
4: Mm. I think naivety was my best friend there. I was only 22 <laughs> when I moved and I'm 28 now. So I was thinking like oh there's hospitals there. It's fine. Like if I need one I can get one. Um and that's pretty much been my attitude all my trips that I've gone on, I'm like, well, (laughs) unless I'm going to the middle of nowhere in like, I don't know, Borneo or something where there's literally nothing, then I should be fine. I actually Mm. was in when I did go to Costa Rica. We were in the jungle, like six hours away from any kind of civilization on a boat and a bus. And I did get like a throat infection while we were there. Mm -hmm. Um, But... The guys were like medicine men, so they gave me uh, local honey and lime juice from the actual trees there, and that made my voice come back. So crazy, really. Oh. I'm <laughs> yeah, wondering,
1: I'm like with your. I, I also, I also um, have a travel business, and um, and uh, travel is 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 fascinating. And and my my partner, who is like really the sort of like brains behind the logistical um, aspects of it, and like. Um, what what are like what are the sort of like considerations that you um, need to make or 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 do you have those considerations in terms of you know like the the wide range you know with a travel business that's that's catering specifically to making adventures accessible for mm. people who might live with an illness or a disability or something like that. That when you go to these places, especially remote places, I mean, I've been in places where I got sick and, you know, alarm bells start going off because yeah. you're so far from, from being able to get proper medical help. Like, what are those considerations to make, um, especially, you know, if you might be dealing with like a wide range of different of, – of, of people who have di- like really um, – like wide-ranging um, needs should something – come up for us that yeah. needs to be yeah. that needs to be taken care of
4: well electricity is probably the main one um none of the tours that i've done have been like real wilderness ones because um like there's people with uh, power wheelchairs that need to charge it overnight and mm. people like me with nebulizers and yeah. i do have a battery powered one now though which i'm Same. very excited how about. much of a fucking yes. lifesaver is that eh literally i mean like i will do it ne- while i'm driving where did like you, I literally. Yeah. Where like,
2: did you get yours? Did you order it online?
4: And <laughs> uh, no, there's a place um, in Dublin called Oxygen Care, but it costs like 370 euros. It's very yeah, expensive, yeah. but worth I, every penny. It's been yeah, amazing.
2: same. I bought mine years and years ago when I went on, on like a whitewater kayaking expedition and i was like oh oh, oh this changes everything like it's, Gira, it's, your it's, nebulizer
1: yeah. is the first is the spark of the first conversation that we ever had yeah that's
2: right yeah yeah and oh. and thank god that place in the middle of the fucking jungle in brazil had power because it would have been a <laughs> pain in the dick if it didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um uh, i i want to uh i Wait, want the, to ch-
0: sorry she was just um answering you you said electricity f- um first was there was there Other considerations, like, are there other um, considerations?
4: Um, Well, there's accessible bathrooms in the hostels that we stay in and accessible rooms and all these different types of things. But at the same time, excuses are made all the time, like, oh, we're not accessible and we can't be accessible. But, you know, you can make things accessible Mm. relatively easily um, between bringing your own shower chair, hiring your own ramps, you know, this type of thing. Um, I actually got an amazing opportunity to go on a toll ship which was made accessible and they sail around the world with interabled abled crews. Oh, uh, it's called Jubilee cool. Sailing Trust. <laughs> and it was literally so idiot-proof. Like the the adaptions that they made on the ship, no one can t- can tell you, oh, we, we can't become accessible because they're a literal famine ship that was built like a long time ago and they have like a periscope that's down a- a different level, so you can see out. They've oh, got um, an accessible platform all the way up the mast. They've got like a pulley system to get people onto the boat. Like it's just so easy. <laughs> so I just try to bring along if I make sure um, I have the ample information before we go. So like, where's the? Is there a disabled bathroom? Is there a mm-hmm. shower chair? Do I need to bring one? Blah blah blah. Um, So I brought a girl with spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy um, up to Byron Bay a few years ago, and it was amazing. We went kayaking and the whales came right up to her kayak and I burst into tears. It was so amazing. Um, And then we went snorkeling at like this coral reef and she made me cry again because she said when I was in the water, no one would have known I had a disability because you're all just bobbing along with your little snorkel and uh, fuck that's sweet that was just warmed my, cockles in my heart it was
1: very nice <laughs> i think that that's really important what you said <laughs> there that. Well, you, that point that you made about like you know e- e- even if even if there are some things that are not specifically accessible like there can be you can you can try to make like traveling traveling is essentially about being outside of your comfort zone and 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 making adaptations to, to like make foreign things more comfortable. And although people who are living with illnesses and disabilities, you know, they face, they face, they face a, uh, uh, you know, like a steeper challenge um, in some ways, you know, there are there like that being outside of your comfort zone is like, is really like, you know, traveling is, I think I can say for, for, I'm sure for all four of us has been like, one of, if not the most life changing, totally, yeah. character building yeah. experiences of our lives, and and it and i I really love, I really love that that initiative and and um, um and the inspiration to to mm. start a company like that because uh, because travel is, yeah it's a kind of it's second to none really.
2: It, mm. it was uh yeah. was it Ecuador? I think I'm trying to find it here. I think it was Ecuador, where the yeah. president there <clears throat> or or it was like president elect was paraplegic and, and like he, he was trying to make his whole thing was like making Ecuador as accessible as possible. Accessible tourism. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I have, um, I, while we were talking here, Jenny, I, I brought up the, uh, the website for accessible adventures and I just want to show the guys the, the video on your website. Um, can you like talk us through this and, 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 like, where where these shots were taken and, and what it is that we're looking at for our, our viewers. And, and for anyone who's listening, I highly suggest you go uh, check out the website, Um, com <laughs> um But the, the video is great. Like, um, here, let me... Uh, I want to play this. Just talk us through this, because it's it's really, really well well done. Like, where the fuck so is this? So this is...
4: Um- This is the Great Ocean Road in Victoria, which is one of my favorite places. And um, there's a lot of accessible viewing platforms like this one that looks over um, the Great Ocean Road. And there's a zip wire park that only just opened up and we got to use their disability harness for the first time, we christened it. So it's really cool, it's like a zip line through the trees. Yeah. Um, So the guy we brought was, um, he had a spinal injury so he was paralysed from the chest down um, but there's definitely a lot that could be improved there's not a lot of beach mats seeing as how the whole Great Ocean Road is full of amazing beaches um, but it's definitely something I plan on you know, talking to councils and stuff about when I get back
2: uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, I love that, that you this company. Like what was the what 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 made you start it? What was the what was the catalyst to 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 take this route in life as opposed to going down the hospital like continuing down the hospitality route uh, with with being a chef?
4: Well, being a girl in a kitchen is uh, deep dark hell. It's horrible. You get sexually <laughs> harassed every single day, and uh, it's not really until you quit that you realize, oof. Some of that stuff was very inappropriate, Mm -hmm. Um, but you just, it's just kind of like a very uh, dominant male heavy culture and all the boys in the kitchen think that they're the dominant male, but you know, they all can't be the dominant male. So they just, it's a very like competitive masculine kind of horrible environment. Um, And I did it for six or seven years. um, And, you know, I got a lot of life experience and the thing about chefing was it was very portable for me. So I did like two ski seasons in in the French Alps. I worked as a pastry chef in a restaurant in London. I it, it's what brought me to Australia. I got sponsored um for my visa in a kitchen. So I can't um say that it didn't benefit me, uh, like it did in in that way in the way it was portable. But I I started to fall out of love with chefing mm. and. I just was like, oh, getting up every day, like, oh my God. And I just, I, I'd had the idea for Accessible Adventures since 2013 when I went to Costa Rica after being sick. And I, every year it was kind of building more in my head. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I really want to do this. I really want to do that. But I kind of felt a bit trapped in chefing because my visa was dependent on it and all this type of thing. And then when I got the opportunity to get my permanent residency and i didn't necessarily have to do chefing anymore. I was like, okay, let's do this. Mm. Let let's. Mm. This is my window. I might not get it again. So, believe me, I was dirt poor for two years. Like I was scraping the scraping the money by, you know, doing all the groundwork and stuff. But I, yeah, I could definitely say it was it was worth every uh, every microwave meal and <laughs> bloody graft that I did. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, good, good, good on you. Like, it's—I I think it's a—it's a really, uh, it, like I said, the, the, check out the website, folks, because it's it, what you're doing is obviously very important. Um, can you? What's the deal with uh, how, why are you trapped in Ireland? Did, like, did you have to go back COVID. to Ireland because of COVID or?
4: Nah, so I came home for five weeks for Christmas, and it's been the longest five weeks ever because I was supposed to fly back on the 15th of January last year, but I was still on the wall on the oxygen in hospital then. And then I got out of hospital 21st of February and I was like, okay, well, maybe after Easter I can look about going back. And then COVID lockdown hit two weeks after I got out of hospital. And I was obviously very vulnerable to COVID with Mm. my lungs. So I've, I literally had to cocoon, um, in my dad's apartment, which is which I'm in now, uh, for the whole time, pretty much. So I didn't leave this apartment for like two months when we didn't know much about COVID at the start. And then Australia closed its borders. So I literally don't have a choice but to stay here until they open the borders. And I wouldn't have even been able to think about flying um, without the COVID vaccine anyway. So
2: yeah. Um yeah. we were and we were talking about that right before we started recording, like about the vaccine. Did you, have you been uh jabbed? Did you get your did you get vaxxed up or what?
4: Yeah, so I got the first one, but I have to say the lead up to getting the, the vaccine was the worst my mental health has been, I would say, if not during the pandemic ever. Like because I'm on the rare end of asthma, I kept getting told, Oh, you're sick, but not sick enough. Sit tight for another bloody mm. however many months until we get our shit together. So there was a group called Vaccines for Vulnerable and there was like sixteen of us. Most people were in their kind of early to mid thirties. But there was, you know, a, a few CFers, um, me, another girl with severe asthma, um someone with MS, like different kind of mixture of um, chronic illnesses, and we were fighting so we could be in the vulnerable category. Um, because asthma was in cohort seven which they haven't even been done yet, most of them. And the vaccine rollout started in kind of March, end of February, March. So I was literally on the phone every day, like respiratory nurses, the respiratory team. Um, I was in, like, the, a load of us did media things. So we were in the paper, we were on the radio. People were on telly. We were literally just shouting about it. Like we need, like one of the girls... Actually, there was a few people who um, had uh, quite a lot of you know lung transplants, liver transplants, kidney transplants. Mm. So they're obviously very vulnerable. And it was just so saddening that we had to fight for something that we really needed. Mm. And we'd been cocooning. We're only young and we've been cocooning like elderly people for the whole time. And I think so many people with COVID were like, oh, it's okay. It's only the vulnerable that get affected by it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, but what about us? Yeah, that's like, we yeah, are the that's vulnerable. Us. Yeah, yeah, we yeah.
3: are those people. Yeah, yeah <clears> throat> it throat> was such a
4: throwaway term. It was like, yeah. oh, it's grand. It's only the vulnerable. I'm like, yeah, but what about the vulnerable? Like, we're yeah. not gonna stay inside forever. We got It is fucking to
0: crazy to that, do yeah. that. that that's I, a mindset. <laughs> like, it, it was, doesn't uh, make sense.
1: <laughs> I was with a, I was with a couple of friends yesterday, and uh, they're they're from Toronto, and one of them is a doctor, and she she got vac- vaccinated a while ago, and her husband just got vaccinated recently, and it was really the first time that I had that I had thought to ask um, someone like how their perspective like just their like world view social view like how their mindset has changed after getting the vaccine mm. like it just jumped to my mind i mean and and i'm assuming i'm assuming there there had there has to be quite a shift for you especially being in a way more vulnerable state than you know the average person um yeah. how has your perspective like just from a, from from a very like Personal standpoint rather than like a communal standpoint on, yeah. you know, health and COVID and its dangers and everything.
4: I literally, as soon as the jab was out of my arm, I teared up. I was just so mm. overwhelmed with, like, oh, it's been a year and a half of my life and this is the first step back into normality. Like, it was mm. so surreal because most days I just plod along and I'm like, okay, well, this is life at the moment. know, yeah, this yeah. is fine. Um, but then sometimes it just hits you like the abnormality of the situation. You're like, God, mm-hmm. I haven't been, like, I haven't been on public transport for a year and a half. I haven't been to a supermarket mm-hmm. for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I haven't, like, even not been on a plane or going on a trip is weird. Yeah. So when when she like put the little plaster on my arm, I was like, oh, it just all kind yeah. of hit me like <clears> the <throat> year and and the re- reality of what we've all had to. Live through um so yeah it's like my mask was soaked from the tears going down uh-huh. into it um every, yeah, it's a very overwhelming experience
1: it's every uh, time I, I i feel the same way it's always very normal and then i get stoned and i go <laughs> yeah. holy fuck
2: yeah <laughs> it, it's funny it's funny how like <laughs> the world. I, i've been having that i've been having that a lot more recently i think mo- <laughs> mostly because because I've I've been finding like my, it's it's been tough on my mental health like over the last I don't know like month or so but um, it's it's so it's so interesting to to kind of just step back and and make that realization of how much of a roller coaster that those emotions are you know of like of every so often just just remembering like oh whoa. We are mm-hmm. like we are living. We're li- we're living in a in a in what you know two years ago would have looked like uh, some horror film. Like w- like we're yeah. we're living through Contagion, which is mm-hmm. which is like a a really really like scary film. And mm-hmm. and that's that's our fucking lives yeah. right now. It's fucking it's, crazy. It's interesting
0: because it it reminds me of the feeling of like doing like like pushing your body to the the limit in terms of like a doing like a a big physical feat. So like I've I've run a couple marathons before and when you're running the marathon and you're in the middle of it, you just sort of get into this like routine where you're just trudging along and like like you're just going through it and you don't realize the like the full extent of the impact that this physical feat is putting mm. on your body until you get right before the end mm. where you're just like, oh my God, I don't think I can, I I think I can barely go on, but I know I'm there. So then you just sort of like let your body break down and like when you cross the line, it's like, Oh my God, that was so taxing. And as yeah. we come into the end, like hopefully the, the end of this pandemic, I, I noticed my mental health too in the last couple of weeks has sort of been like, Oh, oh my God, we're, we're almost there. I'm starting to let these feelings of exhaustion, mm-hmm. uh, being tired and fed up with dealing with all of this sort of just like pour out. But at the end of that too, and like the silver lining of that is like this feeling of like hope now for what's, what's to come. But Jenny, like you, mm. you mentioned that like your your mental health w- has possibly never been in a worse time than a uh, worse place than it has in the in the past year. Was it like just a matter of getting the vaccine, and then all of a sudden you were like, "Oh, okay," like I now feel like I can see the light.
4: Well. I think I know what you mean about the marathon thing. I did uh, the Berlin marathon on my rollerblades in 2017. Oh, hell yeah. I absolutely know what you mean. That's like right. that last two yeah. kilometers is like. Is
2: that a common thing? People doing uh, marathons and rollerblades? That sounds so fun. Well,
4: it was an inline marathon. So there was 10,000 of us Whoa. on rollerblades. It was amazing. Cool. It's funny to think now with, you know, 10,000 people would be like, "Ooh, no." But <laughs> uh yeah, it was amazing. Cool. Um but with so I think I was naive in the fact that I thought that getting the vaccine would be like a miracle cure for my my low mental health because of getting the vaccine because I was like come on like it felt like I was running through quicksand just trying to get the bloody thing. Um and it made it worse that I'm living with my granddad, who's 87. I'm like, well, we look after each other. Uh, so he got his too, like, really early on, because he's obviously in the very elderly category. And then my mum got hers before me because she works as a carer. So she got hers for, from work. And I was like, I'm the only vulnerable person in this household and I still haven't got it, for God's sake. So I was literally like... I think that was really great on you know, my mental health, and since I have got the jab, it's definitely built back up to kind of like more of a um I suppose just a, a neutral state. like I just I still feel like I'm plodding along and mm. everything's not really back to normal. But yesterday, I got my first haircut this year. And I literally Hell feel like yeah. a million dollars. So I'm yeah. like, I have blonde back. I have much less hair. So yesterday, I think, was a turning point, which it sounds so, like, shallow. Like, yeah, you got a haircut. Now I can see the light. Um, but it pretty much is like that, like, teeny tiny bits of normality yeah. coming back in. Yeah. I still haven't been to a supermarket, but um, once I get my second jab, I think that'll be my first day trip. It'll be very <laughs> exciting. Just
2: dancing, yeah. down aisles, <laughs> dancing down the aisles. Dancing down the cereal aisle. <laughs> Um, with a
4: trolley like (laughs)
2: uh jenny uh i want to ask you a a two-part question that we ask a lot of our guests um uh what is the what is the biggest thing that type one brittle asthma has taken away from you
4: i think spontaneity like not being able you know like when you're on an night out, and you like meet someone, and you can't just go back to theirs because like you don't have your nebulizer with you. Mm. Type thing. That's such a shallow thing as well. But <laughs> um, yeah, spontaneity. Part of life. Like I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I do love being spontaneous, but I, I, I also need to have like at the back of my head, okay, where's all my mm. inhalers, nebulizers, blah blah. Um. So yeah, I, I'd say spon- spontaneity.
2: What's the biggest thing that it's given you?
4: Um, empathy. I think it's given me a lot of empathy for, um, people and what go- they're going through, and to look at me, you'd never know. And same with you, Jeremy. Like you'd never know what we're going through behind the scenes. And mm. um, so, I think really trying to give people the benefit of the doubt in in not in situations where like they're taking advantage of people or or you, but um, just trying to, you know, make sure that. Everyone is given the space that they deserve and that they need. And, um, yeah, just being empathetic to people's situations. Like, you know, if they don't text you back immediately, doesn't mean they're ghosting mm-hmm. you. Might just mean that they're they're going through something at the moment. So I really try and be as empathetic as possible. Yeah.
2: Well, <clears throat> Jenny, I got to say, um, this has been a real treat to to be able to sit down and chat with you from all the way across the pond over in uh, over in one of our favorite places on the planet Ireland uh, it was it was so nice to meet you I'm so stoked on the work that you're doing with accessible adventures and uh, how can people how can people find accessible adventures how can people find you keep up with what you're up to
4: uh, so my the Instagram for accessible adventures is accessible underscore adventures. And that's where most of the stuff goes, the Facebook and Instagram, because the website is under construction at the moment. Um, and then my Instagram is unbelievable. So it's U N B E L L Y A V A B L E. And that's because I have a party trick. Another one of my weird medical things is that I've got two belly buttons. So what? I was, I was on, <laughs> I was on Save like Aussie radio, um, I was on Aussie radio a few years ago and, uh, they were obsessed with my belly buttons and I went around like getting free stuff with them. So I changed my Instagram handle to unbelievable and then it just stuck and I haven't changed it back. Can, can, so, is it
2: inappropriate? Can I see, can we see it?
4: I wore shorts just in case this was going to come up. So I will show you. <laughs> on. Yeah.
2: <hell> yeah. <laughs> How the fuck right. do you get two belly buttons? Whoa! Oh. You do. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, how is that? So, how does that
4: happen? That's sweet. It's a medical mystery, but oh. it was very good when I had surgery for my ovarian cysts when I was fourteen because the drain went in one belly button point. and then the camera oh. went in the other belly button. Wow. Actually, whoa! whoa. So did you have <laughs> two umbil- umbilical cords? Oh, nobody knows. But uh, <laughs> doctors were call, calling up the radio station, being like, oh, we think she absorbed her twin. So you never know.
2: I've Whoa. heard of this. My, 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 <laughs> wife, my wife, Bridie, she, she ate her twin up inside her mom's belly. She absorbed her twin. That's Oh,
4: cool. Yeah.
2: Does she crazy. have any holes in funny places? No, she doesn't. I mean, not that I've found. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. all the regular holes. Yeah, just the regular yeah. ones. I <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, this is, you're, you're, you're a real treat. This has been so fun. Thank you yeah. for taking time out of your day to hang out
0: with us today. Yeah.
4: Thank you so much. I, I literally have been buzzing for this, like, all week. And I'm mm. so excited. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Okay. Thanks, Jenny.